we, we love all women and, and our congregation. You all are super important. You have major influence in my life. The reason why I am on the stage today is because of my mom and women influencing me, as well as men, but primarily women influencing me for Christ. And so you're important, all of every, every female. Thank you for being here and, and joining us. If you're online, hey, we're glad you're here or joining us today. We wish you Happy Mother's Day as well in your pajamas if you're still in bed eating your toast and, and eggs and, and joining us. We just want to encourage you to come come back. We're safe. We will not infect you. We love you. And it's just not the same if you're not in the room. And the room is awesome just to hear everyone sing. That's something that you miss. And shaking hands and being encouraged and being supported in the room. I'm excited today. I'm kicking off a, a series that I wanted to preach almost all my life. This is on my bucket list. It's, it's a critical book. It's 16 chapters, 433 verses. I'm not going to hit every one of them over the next 11 weeks. I just can't do it. But I'm going to deliver my best to you. And I think it's super important right now as we maybe as a culture and as a nation are taking a breath in between COVID and the Ukraine and everything that's going on in the political cultural landscape that has been turned upside down. I don't know about your life, but my life and my agenda has been turned upside down over the last two years. And so when we look at the book of Romans... I think that there's going to be some answers for you through this series. And I believe it's super important. Every week we put an outline out there. The reason why we put an outline in your bulletin is because when I preach, maybe I preach too quickly. Maybe if you walk away or ne- later on in the week, sometimes I forget what I preached. And so if you don't write it down, Maybe you'll forget, but hopefully there's going to be, well, I shouldn't say hopefully. I know God's Word is going to minister to you through this series. And God has some powerful things to say to you through the book of Romans. Through this last couple years, you've got to realize something, that everyone has an opinion. We all have our perspectives, and we all have our passions. In fact... Through this cultural change and experience that we had through the pandemic, these have come out really, really strongly. Somebody asked me today, as we were coming in, so how you been? Since it's been the most challenging time of my life. It's been, we've tried to be, go down the middle of the road following Jesus and doing our best to serve people in Christ. And we've made people mad on both sides. And, and, and when we do that, I'm happy. I am. I'm happy. Because we're not going to make everybody happy, and we're not going to appeal to everyone, and it's been a challenge. Vaccinations, masking, political opinions, persuasion. We've tried to hit what God would have us to do as a congregation, and that hasn't made everybody happy. That's okay, because we are not trying to make everybody happy. We just have to make one entity happy, and that's God. 
as we've gone through this period of time, we've got to realize that our internal compass may not be directing us in the right direction, even though we have these perspectives and these passions and these opinions. Now, the cultural message is this. If you don't have the same passion, or if you don't have the same perspective and passion, you are not my friend. Folks, that's wrong. If we love each other, if we care about each other, diversity of opinion can exist. Now, thus saith the words don't change, but we can agree to disagree. Unlike culture, so important. And, and maybe you know some people that are directionally challenged. Maybe you're sitting by someone. Maybe that person refuses to get directions. Maybe not. And you say, well, I have my, my, uh, my phone now, so I don't have to worry about that. I can always find that direction. But in, but in our lives, to find north, you need to use a compass. To find north, you need to use a compass. This building in particular is difficult to know which direction is north. Now, for some of you who've been around for a while, you know where, where north is. Anybody guess where north is? That way. But not everybody realizes it because Highway 40 takes a little bend here. And it can throw you off. And in our lives, I would submit to you that we've been thrown off by all of this that is going on. And that we need to recalibrate our internal compasses. And, and, and you may not realize this, and this is not a geology or geography lesson, but there is a difference between magnetic north and true north, and it's dramatic. Did you know that? There is a difference. Now, if you have an iPhone, I don't know if this is true on Android, but if you have an iPhone and you haven't messed with it, then your, your iPhone is directed toward magnetic north. Now, true north is what we would call the North Pole, at the very top of our planet. Magnetic North is about 300 miles south of that. And Magnetic North is created by the molten lava metal that is in the core of the Earth, and that gives magnetism to our compasses to direct us. Now, you might not think that that's a big deal, that we can say, well, North is sort of that way. Well, it's a big deal if you're traveling in an airplane from New York to L.A. It will take you about three miles off course, and there won't be a landing field where you need to land if you follow magnetic north. But fortunately, jets fly according to geographic or true north, the exact north that doesn't change. But the magnetic north changes. Did you know that? And it it varies from wherever you are on the earth. So some of you are thinking a couple things. First of all, you're saying, this is Mother's Day, and he's talking about magnetic north. Number two, you're, you're, you're saying, I didn't know that our senior pastor was a, a geographical, geology, ge, geological genius. And others of you are thinking, who cares? Yeah, my balcony, my balcony crew is cheering for that one. All right. Well, let me bring you back. Here's why true north matters in our life spiritually. True north matters because true north is the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
That is true north. And under that lordship, we all can exist together equally. And Romans takes aim equally at casual Christianity and divisive Christianity, calling us back to true north. And I would submit to you that we've lost some casual Christians along the way through the pandemic. And what I mean by casual Christians is they're not committed to the church of Jesus Christ and being engaged in in a church-gathering family environment. We've lost casual Christians. Casual Christians are different on Sunday than they are Monday through Saturday. They live two different lives. That goes for Sunday, but not for the rest of my life. And then, then the other part of Christianity that we've seen so much of, maybe not here, but nationally, is divisive Christianity, that we will fight over everything and anything that we have an opinion about. And like the culture, we will cancel you if you don't agree with me. We've seen that as well. Now, Jesus said in Revelation, he said, I would rather you be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. That's how he addresses casual Christianity. And I think some of the consequences of COVID are this. First of all, the first thing, the first consequence of COVID was that we're fear-driven. The question is, are we fear-driven or are we faith-driven? Let me just say, and let me just be really vulnerable with you. That was a real scary time for me. I thought I was experiencing stress, but I was actually experiencing some fear and some anxiety. How is this all going to play out? And, and I, I was reading a book called Leadership and Anxiety, and basically it says that all leaders go through a time where they lead through uncertainty. Well, you couldn't have a better description of what we just experienced. Going through uncertainty. It's like being dropped in a swimming pool and not knowing how to swim. That's how it feels. And so we have to choose whether we're going to be fearful or faithful. And each one of us had to choose the way we would go. And, and, and the second thing is this, that this should have been our finest hour for Christians, for Christ followers, to step up in the fruits of the Spirit. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and self-control. That should have been our finest hour. And some of you stepped up, and some of you did not. That's the challenge through this, through this difficult time that we exist in. And so as we take a breath and we try to regain some perspective, I want to call you back into true North and just remind you that Romans takes aim equally at casual Christianity and divisive Christianity, and it calls us back to true north in the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, this is what St. Augustine said about Romans when he read Romans 13, 13 to 14. He says, as a result, he wrote at once with the last words of this sentence, it was as if a light of relief from all anxiety flooded into my heart all the shadows of doubt were dispelled. He wrote that. Now, Augustine, you've got to look at the halo around this guy. Can you imagine living in a time where the pastor had a halo like that? Wouldn't that be so cool? I wish, I, you know, if I had one of them glowing things going on, can't imagine that. 
John Stott said, said about Romans, he said, says it this way. He, said, he describes the letter as a timeless manifesto, a manifesto of freedom through Jesus Christ. It is the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel in the New Testament. J.F. Packer wrote it this way. He says, all roads in the Bible lead to Romans, and all views afforded by the Bible are seen most clearly from Romans. And when the message of Romans gets into a person's heart, there is no telling what may happen. Now, I'm not a great theologian, but when I've read through Romans 8, I had a midlife crisis. And my midlife crisis was this, and this was just a few years ago as I was studying to preach this. It was when I realized that God, if God is for me, who can be against me? When you realize, when you emotionally, spiritually realize that God is for you, then who can be against you? That was a life-changing moment in my walk in Christ. And I hope as we go through Romans, there will be life-changing moments because we've studied the Word of God. And what He says is true. And it is true north for you. And that really, when we look at all of this, the real question then becomes, are we a disciple of Jesus or are we a disciple of culture? Who am I a disciple of makes all the difference in where I end up. So is your life calibrated to true north? Is the lordship of Jesus Christ the key essential in your life? Now, I don't know how long ago, CJ, it was about a couple years ago, maybe you preached uh, and you had this dresser drawer set up, and as I remember that each drawer kind of represented an area of your life, and you might have your church life or Jesus, and you might have your sex life, and you might have your family life, and you have your work life, you might have all these other compartments of your life, and you said that our lives were compartmentalized, and that we kind of keep, we want Jesus here, but we don't want him to invade any of those other areas of life. And, and I think that you said that actually Jesus is the whole dresser and then each drawer was an aspect of your life under the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. I think that's how it went. And I think that is accurate of what we're talking about in the area of lordship. And that's what we're going to be looking at in the book of Romans. Now, there are four parts of Romans. Chapters 1 through 4, the righteousness of God. Chapters 5 through 8, which are my favorite. I memorized Romans 5, Romans 6, and Romans 7 years ago. And I petered out at Romans 8, and I couldn't tell you all of it now, but that's what I memorized. Chapters 9 through 11, the plan of God. And chapters 12 through 16, the will of God. And we're going to be looking at those from a, a higher level. 16 chapters, 433 verses. Wouldn't be able to do it all in 11 weeks. So why preach Romans? Why preach Romans? Not just because it's on my bucket list, but it's what every Christian should understand about what God has for them. Now, 
You and I have compasses that have been calibrated to the ever-changing magnetic pull of our culture. And so this is an opportunity to go back to true north. And, and at the same time, we've got to realize that, that we're going to have dif- differences and we're going to have differences of perspective, of passions, and of opinions. And, and at the same time, I will probably offend you. And you may offend me. But that's okay in growing. But there's a monumental difference between a harmful offense and a constructive conviction. Isn't there? And as we go to the Word of God, every one of us, every one of us will be looking in a mirror and it will be engaging and and perhaps exposing our soul. You see, the cultural ideology of our day says if you hear something you don't like or you hear something that you don't agree with, then that is psychologically harmful and you don't need to listen to it. You can cancel, you can unfollow, and you can boycott. Now I want you to realize that I'm not talking about shaming here. I'm talking about maybe differing opinions and, and God's word not lining up with the culture of the day. That it may not be politically correct, and that's okay. But who are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to follow God? Or are you going to choose to follow culture? Now, the Apostle Paul is going to tell you that he was called by God. But he's not alone because every one of you are called by God. But this is how Paul describes it in verse 1 of chapter Romans. I hope you'll join me in your electronic devices or, or, or your Bible. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, Paul describes himself, but, but if you know any history about Paul, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the most religious of the religious right, and he was the most right of the most right, and he was a student of Gamaliel, which was the best Pharisee that there ever was in Paul's time. So Paul was radical right. But then he doesn't describe himself that way with his privilege and his re- religious rightness, he, 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 he describes himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. He, he describes himself as an apostle of Jesus, big A. We're little A apostles. He's a big A apostle. And he's set apart for the gospel of God, which is Jesus Christ. And, and here's how he describes the gospel. He says, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning the son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that's a mouthful. And what Paul is saying here that Jesus was fully human and fully God and demonstrated that in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because he died and rose on the third day. And Paul says here, Jesus equally fulfills the justice God requires. Our sin is really, really that awful and the grace that we so desperately need. That's what he says. And then he goes on in verses 5 and 6, he says, Through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. 
including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, which is all of you. We are called to live out the gospel message and declare that gospel message, that we're sinners, we're saved by grace, because Jesus died and rose again, and that makes all the difference in the world when we know that, and we believe that, and we live that. And so the question becomes, what do my words and actions reveal about my identity? And I'm talking about your spiritual identity of who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are called by God. Second, Paul shows that he's committed to the saints. Now, this is fascinating to me. Nobody knows who established the church in Rome. It wasn't the Apostle Paul. Never been there, never done that. He's probably writing from Ephesus, from the church of Ephesus to those that are Rome. Probably the persecution, the disappore the, the of, of Jerusalem, when everybody got persecuted, then the stragglers went to Rome, which was the most influential city in the world at the time. And Paul wanted to have an influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ in Rome to these people that he never met. Now, now later in later years, church folklore or tradition says that the apostle Peter probably established the church at Rome. No, the, the church at Rome was established way before Peter left Jerusalem. The apostles were about the last people that left Jerusalem because the persecution didn't get to them first. First of all, they persecuted the Gentile church and then the Jewish church and then finally the apostles kind of had this protective realm around them and they, were, they, they eventually left. So they didn't follow Jesus' command to, to go into all the world until they were persecuted into it. And maybe God had a divine plan for that. But look at verses 7 through 15 when we're talking about committed to people. This is what Paul says. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. He didn't even know him, but he was thankful for, for the church, for them individually who were there. Because your faith is proclaimed through all the world, their influence was making a difference. Much like our church is making a difference, and any church, if you're a guest today, that you come from is, should be making a difference of salt and light in your community and in your world. And then he goes on, he says, For God is my witness for whom, with, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. He is praying for them, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul longed to see them. Why? For I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. These people already knew the gospel, and Paul still wanted to go to them, and he wanted to impart a spiritual gift that their ministry, their, their calling could be magnified, that the transforming work of the gospel could expand in Rome and throughout that region. Then he says, in verse 13, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among 
the rest of the Gentiles. And then he says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul was committed to the church, committed to the church at Rome. But that wasn't his only church that he cared about, that he was concerned about, but, but he wanted to go there. And eventually, God answers his prayer and allows him to go there, but he goes in chains and ends up in a dungeon. And even in that situation, in that circumstance, he, he has influence in Rome. And that's where we believe he dies. His prayer is answered. Now, Paul's heart for God was revealed ultimately in his heart for people. And our hearts for God will ultimately be revealed in our love for people, all people, whether they agree with us or not, whether our opinions, our perspectives, our uh, passions match or not. Do you love people? You might say, well, Chris, I love people, but I can't stand that person. Doesn't work that way. The question about commitment is this. Who are the people in whom I am building a love for God and the gospel? In my family, among my friendships, the people I work with, the people I play with, who are they? Anselm, the Canterbury, the Archbishop of Canterbury said it this way. He said, if there's trouble in your church, if there's trouble in the pastorate, don't leave, work it out. He he basically made this analogy. He said, people are like trees. If you uproot them and move them and uproot them and move them, the roots don't grow deep. The roots of love don't grow deep. So stay put. Work through the difficulties that you have. He said that in the 12th century. Now how true is that for us today? Now when Paul writes this, this is about 57 AD, about 57 common era. And they believe between 5 and 10 years before he wrote this letter to the Romans that that Claudius, Caesar Claudius, had kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Now, that was a huge deal. Well, why did they get kicked out, you might ask? Well, there's this guy they were fighting about called Crestus that they could not agree together with, and there was a huge division in, 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 amongst the Jews and the Christians. Can you imagine who Crestus was? Well, they were fighting over Jesus Christ. So Claudius kicked them out, and they were out for five or six years, and then they were allowed to come back in. Well, the, the church dynamic changed. It was a mass, massive upheaval because the Jews, the Jewish Christians basically had the majority until they were booted out, and then the Gentile Christians, the Roman Christians, actually had the authority in the churches, and they came, when the Jews came back in, there were still... Uh, Problems. There were still troubles. Now today, wouldn't you say that we are in a massive cultural crisis? Wouldn't you say, after the pandemic, politically, economically, militarily, 
da-da-da-da-da. Aren't we in the same position? And at the same time, all this was going on. Paul knew all about it. Probably Aquila and Priscilla that we see in the book of Acts in chapter 18, they were probably kicked out of Rome, and that's why they were sharing the gospel in other places. That was what was going on. But Paul was saying, I long to see you. I love you, even in your turmoil, even in your upheaval, because God's got the answer. It's true north. So we see a calling. We see a commitment to people. And finally, three, we see that Paul was convinced of the power of the gospel. And we can be convinced of the power of the gospel. And this is how he wraps up this section of of Scripture as he's addressing the Romans. He says in verses 16 and 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Are we ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we a casual Christian? Are we a divisive Christian? Who are we? Oswald Chambers, who is an evangelist, and maybe you read his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. If you never read it, I'd recommend it. He says this, he says, Our calling is primarily not to be holy men and women, but to be proclaimers of the gospel of God. Paul was not conscious of himself. He was recklessly abandoned, totally surrendered, and separated by God for one purpose, to proclaim the gospel of God. You see, because a heart for the people will be revealed in a heart for the gospel, because it is the power of God that transforms people. Knowing the Lordship of Jesus Christ transforms every one of us. And my question then becomes, is your heart fully in it? Marriages won't work if you're not fully, your heart isn't fully in it. Relationships won't work if your heart is not fully in it. We do in relationship, in marriage, we do for the other out of a love for the other and a commitment to the other. Not because we have to and therefore we will love them. This is, this is basically we're the same relationship we have spiritually. So we're saved not because we do those things. We don't earn our salvation. We're saved, therefore we do those things because God's love and grace has overwhelmed us. So now, in thinking about all of this and all of this internal compass versus true north versus recalibration, I want to ask you personally, through this whole time, has your compass got off course? Is there any possibility that Satan has been deceiving you the smoke and mirrors, and perhaps your opinions, perhaps your perspective, perhaps your passion, as you look and as you reflect, could they be toward the magnetic north and not true north? 
can you be a few degrees off? Now, that may not make a difference in the short run, but in the long run, over 20, 30 years, you're going to be way, way off course if you're not directed to true north. If my eyes are fixed on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that means it is Jesus first and everything else is a distant second. See, we don't worship a blue donkey or a red elephant. We worship the Lamb of God. Amen? We don't get caught up in all the secondary things, all the things that really, really don't matter. All our opinions and all our passions, unless it's thus said the Lord, we put Him first. We love Him first. Everything else works itself out. I was talking about the uh, dresser drawers. Now, uh, not only in May is there Mother's Day, there is Memorial Day. And on Memorial Day, or thereabouts on, around Memorial Day, there's this race. It's supposed to be the greatest spectacle in the whole world, sporting spectacle. It's called the Indy 500. And I just want to share with you this illustration in closing. This metaphor is uh, we're going to watch Indy cars go around this uh, two and a half mile track. And there's decals on the Indy car. And you can always tell who the biggest sponsors are because the biggest decals are from the biggest sponsor and they get the best spots on the car. So if you're watching uh, in any way, you can see who their sponsors are. Well, let me just say this. Let me just say it this way. I want you to think when you see an IndyCar, I want you to see, see the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He owns the car. He sponsors the whole car. Our opinions, our passions, and our perspective, they're just the little decals on the car. But Jesus owns the car. He is Lord over all. And I would challenge you, as we go through the book of Romans, to remember who is Lord and where true north is. In our lives, this is our question. How might proving my love for the gospel message that Jesus actually lived, actually died, rose from the dead, lives at the right hand of God, and someday he's coming back, and he loves you like crazy, wants to display his grace to you in a supernatural way that you would know him as Lord and Savior. Just like the church at Rome, we too all probably have heard the gospel um, all our lives, some of us, and others of us, we need to rehear it and recalibrate it to true north. Will you come today as we stand and as I pray, asking Jesus again to be Lord of our lives, Savior, Redeemer. Let's pray. Eternal God and Father, we are so grateful for the work that you've done. And Father, we're thankful for the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans that we might know Jesus as Lord and as Savior and that he would be 
our true north in our lives. And Father, for those that have never experienced Jesus as Savior and Lord, we just pray that today will be the day and now will be the time. For those of us that have drifted away from that lordship and allowed the culture to invade our lives, we just pray that you would, Father, recalibrate us that through your word and through the witness of your Holy Spirit, that, that by your grace, we would know true north. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.